We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. Two of the mailbag, so me and Fox are going to pick things up right here with the mailbag part two. Uh, for the next question, we have loyal listener of the show, Matt Peck said, "Do you feel that the Pacers' small ball lineup is sustainable for the playoffs or long term? If not, what changes do you think need to be made?" I think you're asking this question, Matt, because you don't believe that this Pacers small ball lineup is sustainable long term. Because you're a smart guy, and I agree with you. This Pacers small ball lineup, it is fun. It's working in the regular season, but give me a seven-game series of this. I don't think the Pacers have the dogs right now to make this be a sustainable long-term thing. Now, I have had some conversations with people, and I've kind of brought this up as a not a concern, but just like, yeah, I just wonder about this. You know, like, uh, like, uh, is this the right type of roster construction to really win a playoff series? And somebody got on my case and said, you're just you're just like every other other Indiana fan. You always doubt. You never want to believe in what's going on. It's just like, no, I'm trying to be realistic here. Like sometimes it, it's hard to take off the rose color colored glasses and, and be realistic with your team, but other times it's not. And I just feel like the small ball lineup's been working for the regular season. I just don't think it's going to work in the playoffs. So I agree with you. And I think the the change that needs to be made is one, I think eventually you're going to have to put Mather in the starting lineup. That's that's for sure what they're going to have to do. I don't think you can just keep him on the bench, especially come playoff time. But, uh, I mean, you can maybe try it, but it's not going to really work for you. And I think you're going to just have to get more size. And, unfortunately, with the way this roster is constructed, we just don't have those type of players. We need a power forward. We need another probably small forward, to be honest with you. We need more size on this team, someone that's six eight six nine that can really, you know, rebound the basketball, play defense against bigger wings and – you know, just give you a little bit of an advantage. I'm not saying you need to go all out and get a Kawhi Leonard type, but 
you know, if maybe you could, you're not going to get him from Minnesota, obviously, but like a Jaden McDaniels type is the type of player this team desperately needs. A Mikael Bridges, somebody that can just lock up the other team's best player and and put some size on them and, and be able to cause some mismatches defensively where you're not always just trying to like play this helter skelter team defense, trapping stuff to try to mask the holes that you have at the defensive side of things. I'm with you, man. It's a fun lineup, but it's not sustainable because we've seen bigger lineups at times bully us around. The Timberwolves absolutely abused us on the glass and in both the games that we played against them. The Knicks beat us up both games on the glass, and it it just shows that fun lineup, but not sustainable if you're talking about like a seven-game series where a team can, I, I think, make the adjustments and figure you out. I mean, we saw something recently. It was tweeted out that one of the best five-man lineups on the year was actually Halliburton, Nemhard, Benedict Matherin, Buddy, and Miles Turner. Awesome to see. But it feels like if you're talking about competing with the elite of the lead of the NBA, we're going to get figured out. So right now, I, I would love to see a better power forward on this team. I think the Pacers really hope that Jalen Smith and Miles Turner playing together would have would be different than what it is right now. I think that now Jalen Smith's kind of found himself playing the Turner role of years past, except now he's coming off the bench. So obviously all-star level wings, they don't grow on trees. We wish they did. But if you can't add one of those, a more traditional power forward would be great. Aaron Neesmith, I feel like, has done a really solid job trying to do what he can at times. But it's been like musical chairs between Neesmith, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, all at the four at times. And I feel like the Pacers need something a bit more sustainable. I know we talked about in the past about a guy like John Collins being available. I mean, the Pacers need more size, more size that could score inside, but also you know be able to provide more rebounds as well. And a guy like John Collins is someone that could give you, you know, say eighteen and eight on, on any night. And uh, you know, I don't know if the Pacers end up making that move, but this small ball lineup it's it's just not sustainable for an 82 game season and the playoffs i i think they need another big time score too Fachi. they do and honestly like they didn't have to be like like a top 10 top 20 guy but i i think someone like we talked about in one of our last episodes kyle kuzma someone that can actually put the ball in the hoop like that would be big for this team you it know would. He put 44 up the other night, I think it was. Um, yeah. What was that, Friday night after we had the big conversation about Kyle Guzman? So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that he's got that in him. I think Buddy Hill can go off. I think Matherin can go off. Halliburton, you know, Miles can go off. But just having another guy that can go off, because you're not going to usually get that type of performance from Nimhard, Neesmith, Brissett, Jalen Smith, no. like none of those guys. So just having another guy out there that with, with size that can score is going to be huge. But Let's move on to the next question. This one comes from Jeff Dunham, and I'm not sure if you have any research on this, but if you don't, I have some. But uh, he said, what does boom baby mean? Where did it come from? How long have the Pacers used it? And why do I hardly ever see it off Twitter? So I I believe, and I could be wrong, that Jeff mentioned that he is a newer Pacer fan. I I, could have sworn that he tweeted at me once saying he just started really following the team this year. The, The term was coined by the late, great Hall of Famer, Bobby Slick Leonard, as that was his infamous call during Pacer games. And I feel like it's become the go-to catchphrase for, for the fan base. And I feel like that dates back for, for a few decades now. And, and I 70s. think the early 70s. I mean, think about that. I mean, you're talking about a long time of that kind of being, you know, the Pacer catchphrase. So, Alex, was there anything that I missed on that that you could add? 
Yeah, so 1075thefan.com had a story on this, on how Boom Baby came about and said, according to Billy Keller and George McGinnis, both of whom played for the Pacers under Slick Leonard in the early 70s, uh, it goes back to Game 5 of the 1973 ABA Western Division semifinals between the Pacers and the Denver Rockets, now the Denver Nuggets. The game was close, and Slick called a timeout, Keller remembered. Slick set up a play for George McGinnis. And what we were going to do was get the ball to George and let George go do his thing. But Keller said the strategy immediately broke down when the Rockets played a uh, player swarm McGinnis off the inbound. The play never developed. We had about eight seconds to go. Billy was just kind of floating over there in the corner and Billy got the ball and he's behind the line and just let it go. They swarm McGinnis off the inbound and that kind of left me, uh, left uh, Keller open and he said he kicked it. Uh, George kicked it to him because he was uh, so contested. He said, I let it fly and the shot went in. He said that he hit the thing and Slick got up and yelled, boom, baby. And that's where it started. So it all came from a made three in a Western Conference Finals game against the Denver Rockets. And, you know, Billy Keller made it and Slick Leonard yelled, boom, baby. And it never died. Now that's some great insight right there on the origins of that of that uh, saying right there. Sorry, so I was kind of broken down trying to read it. No, in hey, paraphrase. that 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 is uh, the the in depth version right over there. So Jeff, now you have your answers, and you could you could take that story on to the next person that ever asks. And, it, uh, and it's a team slogan right now. So oh, I don't know. It, it very much yeah. is. There's if a ton hash- of merchandise out there. Well, I'm just saying if you put hashtag Boom Baby on Twitter. It's got the Pacers logo at the end. So every year they redo it, and it's like, you know, whatever the slogan is for the NBA, like their Twitter handle. Like if you put like hashtag Rocket, sometimes it'll show Rocket at the end of it. But if you just did mm-hmm. like Houston Rockets, it wouldn't show it. So you do hashtag Pacers, it won't show it. But you do hashtag Boom Baby, you'll see the little Pacers logo in your tweet. No doubt about it. Next question we have from DJ Davis said, if the Pacers rebound better, they'll likely win 25% more games. The Pacers need a 6'9 or taller power forward who rebounds well and can shoot. Who could they trade for, or what will they have to give up, player and or picks? Kyle Kuzma. I'm going back to this, Fachi, now. Oh, we're back. We're going back. They can trade for him. They can. They won't have to give up too much, in my opinion. So, like I said last episode, you're probably looking at Duarte and a bad pick. Fachi hated that idea. I think there's a chance that maybe you could just get it for Duarte straight up. Because mm-hmm. Kuzma's probably going to be walking. And now th- there might be other buyers out there. So maybe I'm a little bit low on my offer. But I think that's kind of the starting point. I think Kuzma's a gettable guy, an attainable guy, because the Wizards are not where they want to be. And it looks like they could be going into rebuild mode. And they know Kuzma won't resign there. But if you're looking for somebody kind of smaller, like I've talked about, I'll just go back to this guy because the Hornets are a bad team. P.J. Washington. This is a guy that the Pacers, if they did trade for him, they would have his restricted rights. So even if he did test free agency, they'd be able to match any offer. And I think this could be something that they like more because they know they can retain PJ Washington and not lose him for nothing. So I think one of those two guys makes sense to me. They've both been rumored to the Pacers. Uh, well, I guess Kuzma's not been rumored to the Pacers. That's just been me and uh, you talking about it. But PJ Washington has definitely been rumored to the Pacers the last couple of years, but was recently brought up in an article with Jake Fisher where the Pacers could have interest in PJ Washington. I know, uh, there's other names out there, Fachi, but did you have somebody else? Yeah, look, you know, both those guys super intriguing. I think they would be awesome fits for the Pacers if they're able to, you know, lock them down on longer term deals. Uh, right now, obviously, the popular name is John Collins. Uh, he actually fits the bill. He's six nine. Uh, in years past, he had seasons where he averaged twenty one ten 
four seasons at 17 and seven while shooting 40% from three. So he's doing a lot, but look, you're going to be paying him a good amount and it's going to cost, you know, one to two first plus Duarte. Yeah. We, we've read that there's a chance that it could be a first round pick and Chris Duarte, but we don't know that for sure. He has three years, $78.5 million remaining on his contract. However, that third year is a player option. So, you know, maybe it's only two years that you're in it for. Um, but at the same point, if you're not overly in love with John Collins over there, one name on a smaller scale, actually someone who's going to hit free agency but shouldn't require a lot, Nas Reed has actually been really solid for the Timberwolves. He's 6'9", all right? And on the year, stats won't blow you away. 10.6 points, five rebounds per game, shooting 56%. However, his per 36 averages are 20 points per game, nine rebounds, two blocks. And in his four starts on the season, he's averaging 20 and eight, shooting 56%. The Timberwolves, uh, there was an article coming out saying that they are unlikely to come to an agreement with Nas Reed before hitting free agency. That's someone that I, I do not think will be commanding a lot of money in free agency. I think that he is available. Obviously, uh, you know, the Timberwolves have other bigs that they're already paying and Rudy Gobert. So I think that he's someone that could be available for the right price, you know, if you're not interested in maybe poning up a little bit more for a few of the other names that we mentioned. Yeah, I think Nas Reed, although he's only 6'9", he does naturally play the center position, Pachi. Mm-hmm. So- he does. Not yeah. and not you're not really going to get a, a great shooter, but you're talking about a guy who's actually shooting about thirty six percent from three, which is yeah pretty surprising. No, he shot the ball well from three. I'm just I just want to make sure that people understand that he's not really like a power forward type. Of no, player. he's not your traditional power forward. He he could maybe fit with Miles. That'd be an interesting fit. Put them together because Miles' ability to stretch out and hit the three just as well, uh, shooting over forty percent this year. So, I mean, yeah, that'd be interesting. I think a lot of people said he's a starter level player as well so it'd be interesting i don't i don't dislike the name Reed, but i think i kind of like it more if there's a chance turner's on the move and the pacers need someone to maybe play that center position i've seen enough of jalen smith and isaiah jackson this season to realize they're probably not the long-term answers at the center position so if they could somehow get their hands on Reed to be that replacement for turner if he's dealt i wouldn't be opposed to that but you know i think we got to think bigger though in terms of and I'm this is bigger than what I said too, and what we need for our power four position moving forward, just because, you know, maybe PJ Washington could be that guy, but he hasn't been that guy so far in Charlotte. Kuzma has been kind of a journeyman. He's got a lot of potential, but you know, he's probably a starter in the league. There's no doubt about it, but I just don't know if it's the right guy. And that's the same way I felt with John Collins. All these guys feel like, you know, middle of the pack power forwards. And I think the Pacers probably would like something a little bit more promising than that. They would, but here's the thing. How many real all-star level power forwards are just available no, you're for right. trade? That, that That's the thing is if you're talking yeah. about free agency, we might not be able to attract him. Trade-wise, yeah, you kind of need someone a little bit disgruntled that could be on the move. And it, it's just hard because the, the game's changed a lot where you're not getting a lot of traditional power forwards like you did in the past. Uh, so I think that if you're the Pacers, look, you're, you're probably not going to be able to command, you know, the – the, the top of the top, all NBA guys. But if you go a tier down and there is a guy like John Collins, it's intriguing. There's a lot to like. There's some stuff to dislike over there. But I, I think that it would be hard to say that he wouldn't be a solid upgrade for the Pacers. What about Laurie Markkinen, Pachi? I don't think he's available now. Value's never been higher. Never what been if, higher. But what if you could trade for him? Like, what's the, let's say he is available, but it's a really expensive price. Like, Ugh. 
close to OG, but not as much. Oh, man. I, here's the thing. Lori is having a fantastic year. But above all, this year is so different than any year that he's had before that I feel like Lori is someone that it's going to take picks to get him. I don't know in terms of contract exactly where he's at, but it would be painful to be paying him top, top dollar after just 42 really good games. Yeah, I mean, he he did really well in Cleveland as well, but not not this not level. this well yeah yeah so i agree and and why would utah trade him anyway i mean he's i agree so good for him but it's danny ainge you never know what he's thinking but uh let's move on we got two questions left this one's come uh this one comes from faithful listeners chuck and jamie they said put our beloved rookies under the microscope what's your biggest compliment and biggest criticism improvement for each of them then they said better yet if it's hard to pick one compliment make it a compliment sandwich so Two compliments, sandwiching, a criticism, or an improvement. Ooh. First off, this question is making me hungry because I love a good sandwich, and we've been recording question. for a bit. I like so it. I like it a lot, but I'm probably going for a sandwich after this. But look, <laughs> M- Matherin, we'll start with him. Always easier. He can score with the best of them. Ability to get to the free throw line is just everything you can wish upon a star for. I mean, everything that we said in the past, oh, this Pacers team needs to get to the line more. Matherin's averaging over six attempts per game as a rookie. Uh, I guess my complaint on him is needs to bring more to the table than scoring. Many nights he'll have zero assists, maybe two rebounds. Maybe it's one or two assists, two to three rebounds. But he's doing this in, a, in at times 25 to 30 minutes. So I don't want to say that he could be losing confidence in his three ball either. And this is like a little bonus. But his three-point attempts have decreased each and every month as well as basically his three-point percentage. So the the compliments, really gifted scorer who's getting to the free throw line. Uh, the, the criticism or improvement is he's got to bring something more than just scoring. And while we always know that he's very confident, don't lose confidence in that three-point shot. It's going to fall in. It's going to be a long season. And we've seen this guy can have months where he shot over 40% from three. So I'm not worried at times when he's struggling at about 25% from three over the last two months. Now, moving over to Nemhart. Uh, love his poise. I feel like he's got great control and comfort, for, especially for a rookie playing the two-guard role compared to being a point guard. He's very smart with the ball, and it's only averaging – 1.6 turnovers per game, which I think is uh, amazing as a rookie ball handler. But also, this that this dude's real consistent from three. He's shooting 38.5% from three. And the exact opposite of Matherin, actually, his three-point attempts have improved every single month thus far. So I'd say if we got to go with a, a little bit of a critique for a rookie that's surpassed all expectations, I would say he's got to get to the line a bit more. He's okay. only logged a free throw appearance in a free throw attempt in 13 games, but only more than two free throw attempts in just two games. How about that? Yeah, how about that, Fachi? Man, that's uh, that's that's some good stuff right there. I, I'll say for Mather and for me, obviously you love the athleticism. I mean, he is just a freak athlete. Love it. Love the physique, the dog, whatever you want to call it. I love that about him. And then I'm going to put a complaint in here. And I think my biggest complaint for him is gotta be ball handling. I, I I think he can be so much more of a of a threat if he could be a better ball handler. I feel like he can be kind of loose with the ball sometimes or just pass it nine nonchalantly. I would love for him to just get a handle, you know, really work on tightening that handle because that 
ability to tighten that handle is going to help him so many different ways to get creative uh, creative to score. And right now it's just mostly a straight line drive or a cut to the basket. I think ball handling is one thing that he drastically needs to improve upon to get better. And I think honestly, to be that all NBA type of player, we think he can become, um, he's going to have to become a better ball handler. But another, um, another compliment here that I'm going to give him is just his knack to get to the free throw line. That was a great one. Flash. I mean, there's no other way to put it. Like, Halliburton was, you know, joking about it on the JG Reddick podcast about like no other rookie gets to the line like this. It's like Matherin gets to the line better than anybody on the Pacers. Like it's not even about a rookie. It's just it's just yep. this guy gets to the free throw line like none other. So that's huge. And I think you know, it, we we look at Nimhard's game, and I really don't think he's a guy that's really looking to try to get to the basket too often no. based on his role right now. So I'll, I'll say for him, like you said, like it, with Nimhard, there's so many things you can look at, but defensive. Uh, presence is is my thing for him for a compliment no doubt about it he is a defensive-minded guy super super reliable on that end does whatever he's asked to do I'd say one complaint for him is work on his shot a little bit I think that his shot formation can be a little slow at times obviously he got the three off against LeBron so who am I to sit here and complain about it but it just feels like his shot's not consistent enough and I think if he can get a more consistent shot he'll be a better player. And then lastly, I just think his basketball IQ is off the charts. I mean, he's probably got one of the best basketball IQs on this current roster. Um, Halliburton's obviously number one, but I think you could make the case that Nimhart's got the second highest basketball IQ because he's similar to Halliburton in, the, in ways that he sees the floor. And I, I think Rick Carlisle being so high on him, trusting him already as a rookie to do what he's doing, I think a lot of that just comes down to that basketball IQ being so high and being – so phenomenal for his young age. So, you know, it, it's really hard to sit here and criticize these guys because there's probably little small things they could work on, like maybe getting a go-to shot from Mather might be something that I should say over better ball handling. But at the same time, I, I just think the ball handling is going to create more for him. And I think for Nimhart, I think just getting a quicker release, maybe a better better jump shot would help him open up his game a little bit more. Hey, every rookie has room to grow. So I, I love the fact that we were able to compliment both players on so many different things, especially Nemhard's defensive capabilities and his IQ, because that's something that we raved about in the offseason of that. Hey, this is a guy who played in a championship game at Gonzaga. He's played on under, you know, great coaches in college. And, and I think that Carl, obviously we know loves him. I mean, he there's been a lot to like about Nemhard, and he's been able to you know, be the surprise rookie of, of, of you know the NBA season thus far, at least based on the media uh, survey. So I love what we're seeing. And for our next question, we have, and this is actually our last question. Yeah. Andrew said, do you think it would be more beneficial for Indiana in the long term to trade smaller amounts of capital for smaller role guys like Cam Reddish or Pat Williams? Or would it be more worthwhile to trade larger amounts for a guy like OG or Laurie Markkinen. I see arguments to both sides. I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. What do you got? Yeah, I mean, I brought up Laurie Markkinen earlier just to kind of get your feel for this, Fachi. Maybe I was trying to sneak a peek at this question Ooh. as well to see what you were going to say. But for me personally, I'm tired of going for the outskirt guys, the guys with the chip on their shoulders. It's time to go all chips in, Fachi. They've they've already they're already ahead of schedule. They've got two rookies that are considered top ten players in this year's draft. You know, the guys that they drafted last year in 2021 can't even crack the rotation very much because they've got so many guys ahead of them. P guys are playing great. They still got their draft pick this year. They've got all their draft picks in the future. They've got the Cavs pick. They got the Celtics pick. 
They've got potentially the Rockets pick at pick 31 this upcoming draft in that Karis LeVert deal. So they've got themselves set up very, very well here, Fachi, to move forward. I think they've got their core pieces in place. Maybe they're one core piece away. And if they can acquire that via trade, I think they need to, yes, push all chips in, pull in a Jim Irsay here, put all chips in, and go in and get your guy. That's why I threw out the Cavaliers little comparison earlier in this episode when we were talking about the Phoenix Suns comparison to this Pacers team. If there's a Donovan Mitchell available, the Pacers have what it takes to go in and get that type of player, and I think they should really consider doing that if there's a guy that becomes available, like an OG, maybe even a Pascal. Don't know if I'd do it for marketing, but definitely a wing type of player like that to go with this core. That's what I'm thinking. I, I think that we've seen enough of the Cam Reddish experiences that you can find those guys on the margins all throughout the NBA all the time. I think we've done a good job with that. Now it's time to go out there and find a star to go with Halliburton Mathering. Ah, look at you testing the waters to see the vibe. Uh, I like it. Look, here's the thing. As much as I'd like to say, you know, next year's the year, you know, it might not be the year where we were contending for it all, but I love the path that we're going on. I have no problem making small moves this year. I don't want to make the big move in season because what are we trying to gain this year? I mean, really push for, for a playing spot. I feel like this off season is where we are set up to your point to really be able to make some noise and take that next leap forward. When we were able to accumulate now three first round picks, the cap flexibility that we got in a young team, it made me feel like to your point, we have the assets to go after that next Donovan Mitchell type guy. And, and we've seen Isaiah Jackson, Chris Duarte not take that step forward that we wanted to. But I do think that those players are very, very appealing to other teams. So you talk about both those guys, first round picks, early second round picks, whatever it is, the Pacers have set themselves up to make a splash. And I think a guy like OG is who I've had my eyes on for a while. Lloyd Marketing, I don't want to do it because – We've we need to see a larger sample size. We, we really do. I think that this year has been such a out there year for him that I don't know if he can continuously just be this guy moving forward. But we know we have way too many first round picks than to physically deal with right now because we have a roster right now that can't get ample playing time. So bottom line. I feel like don't light a first-round pick on fire at this deadline just to make a trade happen. This offseason, look to really pool your assets together and go after a big move because, to your point, when have we seen the Pacers make that splash? I mean, you know, Karis LeVert, it's like, think about this. It's like when we got LeVert, we traded Oladipo. Okay, all right. Well, we signed Wesley Matthews at the line. Okay, sure. Like, wait, we, we traded for TJ Warren. It's like we brought in pretty good players, but we haven't brought in like all star level players unless it cost us an all an all star in return in regards to trading Paul George for Oladipo and Sabonis. So mm-hmm. I would love to pool those first round picks, young talent together. We got the cap space to be able to absorb in an all star level player. And this offseason, I'd like to go for it, but I don't think that we're ready to do it at the trade deadline this year no not not even close to the deadline i mean i hate to say it, you still don't know what's going off miles turner so yeah you got to figure out that situation first but I, I definitely agree and i mean you can look at just two ends of the spectrum here look at what the small market cleveland cavaliers did they got donovan mitchell now they're a top 14 probably in the eastern conference you look at what the minnesota timberwolves did they went all chips in and went for rudy gobert and you know they were just not too long ago outside of the play-in and now i think they're like at a six seed but it's such a such a you know, cluster over there. 
in the uh, in the Western Conference, it's becoming so hard to figure out like where they're going to end up finishing, and it's not been what they were hoping it was going to be because they thought nope. getting Gobert would put them at like the top of the Western Conference, and it hasn't been that. So it's been more pro- problematic with them than they probably were hoping. So you know the Pacers have to be careful with what move they make, right? And maybe not dealing with the the Jazz would be the smart thing to do and just leave Lori Markkinen alone. But I think if there's a player out there that they feel like they can help them out, like it, it's tough. Like even even look at what the Clippers did to get Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. They traded away all their picks in SGA basically for Paul George, which also got them Kawhi Leonard to come there. So I just think you know the Pacers probably aren't to that point where they're going to get two guys like that. But I, I think it'd be just smart. To, to look and see what you can get and and do more consolidating instead of adding little small pieces, turn two or three small pieces with a couple picks into a big name star because in the NBA at the end of the day, big names are what win it and they're not usually available, but when they are, you want to make sure that you, you know, have the assets to be a player in that. And you're not going to probably get a guy like Kevin Durant to come to Indiana, but you know, let's just say if things could go on the way they're going in Minnesota, would Anthony Edwards eventually become available? Is that somebody you'd be willing to go out there and pay a lot of money to bring into Indiana to go with Halliburton and Matherin? Not saying that's the guy you want, but just throwing out there uh, guys like that that are in weird situations where they might want to move on and a small market team might be willing to trade them to another small market team and try to reset and all that kind of stuff. So just throwing that out there, Fachi, because I think no more – you know, small deals. I, I think we've seen enough of that throughout the past, you know, probably 20 plus years of the Pacers. Yeah, we, we really have, because those are the moves that just kind of keep us competitive rather than breaking through. So right. I, I would like to see the Pacers swing for the fences a little bit higher because look, draft picks, they're the mystery box. And, and at this point, it's one thing if you're trading, you know, a, a top five pick, sure. But you're talking about the Celtics late pick. You're talking about the Cavs, you know, pick probably between 20 to 25, the Pacers' own first-round pick, which, you know, could be good but not great. And, and then you mentioned early second-round picks that they have. Are, are any of those picks really going to move the needle for the Pacers? Probably not. No. But I, I think that the ability to take on a, a contract that to another team is, is kind of wearing them down while we have the flexibility and can't really draw free agents, that's our opportunity right there. So – I want to see what's going to happen. We don't know who that next guy is that's going to become available, but there always tends to be someone who wants a change of scenery. And I do think the Pacers front office have aligned themselves to be in the best position possible to acquire that star when they become available next. We just don't know who it will be. Exactly, Bachi. So I think we did a good job answering these questions as thorough as possible as we've gone from every week to once a month now with the mailbag. So we want to thank you all for participating and putting these questions in. And if we somehow missed your question, we apologize. I tried to take down the post after I uh, took the screenshots to, to send the Fachi. But um, if you have any questions and we didn't get to them or you sent them to us before, I'm telling you, it, it's hard to keep track of all the questions. So please send them in only when we post them on social media. And uh, we'll, we'll try to do that from our sitting the pace account. We don't really tweet too often from there, Fachi. So We'll, we'll try to put it out from there, and then maybe you guys can just turn notifications on for that when, you know, we'll, we'll try to give you a heads up when the mailbag will be coming out. But, um, yeah, go ahead and let people know where they can find us at on social media. Absolutely. So you can find us on Twitter at setting the page 3 You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. 
I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at Pacers Talk. You can find us on Facebook at Setting the Pace. You can find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. YouTube.com slash Setting the Pace, the Pacers podcast. Please subscribe to Fachi. If you're hoping that Tyrese Halliburton's injury is not serious and he's able to come back sooner rather than later, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.